The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that's 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We would love for you to connect with us on social media. We are at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. We would also love for you to subscribe or follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen. And if you're listening on iTunes specifically, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review. We've got a great show for you today. We've got interviews from after practice with the Titans' two big free agent acquisitions from this offense offseason. We're going to talk to Roger Saffold. We're going to talk to Adam Humphreys. But before and after that, we're going to have a discussion amongst ourselves, and we're going to talk about some of the biggest storylines of Titans training camp. But specifically, we're going to talk about what's the most significant storyline that's good for the Titans, and what's the most significant storyline that's bad for the Titans? So we're going to go ahead and hop right into that first question of what is the biggest storyline from training camp so far that is good for the Titans? Matthias, if you'd like to kick us off. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, he's been getting a lot of press lately, and a lot of videos of him have been shown, and it's receiver Adam Humphreys, who was brought in here to be the main slot guy I know they talk about him him uh, contributing on the outside, but he he's he's going to play the slot almost all, all of the time, and he's probably going to be Mariota's best friend along with Delaney Walker if, if Walker gets back healthy. And I just think it's a really good storyline because we spent a good amount of money on him. Uh, I think nine million per year, which 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 is which is a lot for for a slot, uh, strict slot receiver these days. And just seeing him in practice, just how crisp his routes are, how quick he is. Uh, I mean, we we saw it in the when he was with Tampa Bay, he would always produce with with Jameis Winston or with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Uh, but seeing him put that on the field, and, and you know, I think I think a lot of people just assumed he was this this white slot guy, really crafty. Uh, you know the the stereotypical things, but no, he's really athletic. He's a very good route runner, and he's really good at catching the ball. And I, I think he's just going to be a, a really, really important part of this offense. Yeah, I mean, 
Humphreys is great. Like I, I'm so intrigued to see what he does. Uh, I, I, I don't know that we've ever actually tried to run with a slot receiver. Like I don't think the Titans have ever put that in their offense where they said they're going to be a three wide receiver. Although I guess Wiz and Hunt may have tried and failed at that. But I mean, I, I've said this a bunch of times before, but this could be the move that actually puts the Titans into the 21st century in terms of offensive play. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, Super intriguing. Yeah, and um, and the thing about Humphreys that I've noticed at practice is that he just looks really, really comfortable. And we're going to ask him that in the interview, you know, why it is that he looks so comfortable out there. But he's just so fast and quick and nimble. And you, you hit it right on the nose, Will. Him being here, though I don't know the Titans would ever admit it, it could completely transform what they do on offense because by having that third receiving option, because you know what you have in Corey Davis, you know what you have in Delaney Walker, but by having that third receiving option that's reliable, it just is going to open up so much for them, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, from a spacing perspective, it, it, it just makes so much sense. And when you have a third wide receiver, you can't have a second tight end, really, unless you're going empty, which I, I don't think the Titans ever will. But... <laughs> um, so that's like, it's really interesting. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't think we've ever had a functional offense that worked like that. Um, for they me, would, I feel like they would always default to just putting Delaney in the slot. And yeah, I, like, I think having that versatility between the two is, is, is huge. That's such a, that's such a weird thing. You say that because I was just going to say like, they've always said, okay, we've got people that are athletic enough at this other position that we'll put them out there and we'll be sneaky. Like they used to do it with Chris Johnson some where they were like, we're going to line him up out like this and you're going to have to cover him differently when yeah. ultimately it never affected anything in a positive way. And I just remember screaming at like the television or in the stands. I'm like, why don't you just go get one of those guys who signs for $2 million every off season and then has 800 yards because they play in the slot and they know what they're doing. So it, it's good to see them finally make that decision. But uh, for me, the the best offseason or best, best training camp story is Arthur Smith. And I'll tell you why, because it, you don't really see a lot about it right now. But when A.J. Brown was hurt, Adam Humphreys didn't move outside to the boundary receiver. He didn't, he didn't take a player who is very good at one position and try to make him into another thing, which is what we've seen so many times. He said, instead of making an, instead of making two positions worse, I'm just going to bring up Tajay Sharp, and then we're going to keep running our offense like that. And it's so important to know that you have an offensive coordinator who, when trouble happens, they have a plan and they understand why things need to be a certain way. Why a guy may be good at guard, but not at tackle. Why a guy may be good running zone, but not, you know, power. Things like that are really important. And you see it with guys like Corey Davis, too, who when he, you know, he's running these out and ups or these wheel routes or whatever you want to call them. And it's it's not a lot of you know, stutter, throw a screen to Corey Davis or have him block on a screen, even though I'm sure that's going to be part of the offense. You should use Corey Davis like you would use a top a top five pick wide receiver. Like, don't – he's not just any other guy. You like him because his quarterbacks in college trusted him to throw those deep balls to him and he would go and get him. Let him be that guy. I mean – he seems to really understand where each player fits in this offense, e- even to the quarterback. Like Marcus Mariota, it seems to be more comfortable. Uh, it, it, there's been a lot of positive reviews about him in camp. He just seems 
I don't, I don't want to say calmer because there's nobody in the world who's been calmer than Marcus Mariota over the last four years. But it, I, and I don't know if it's the size, I don't know what it is, but it sure seems like he's much more comfortable in this offense. And you don't see all the tweets and you know everybody going crazy because he threw an interception to Kevin Byard and this that, and another. You know when there are plays like that that are problems, it's more miscommunication with guys like Anthony Ferkser and not he and Corey Davis aren't on the same page anymore, or he threw a ball so poorly behind Adam Humphreys that it got picked. All these things are because the offensive coordinator is confident that he understands the personnel and is using that personnel correctly. So that's by far the most positive thing I've come away with. Yeah, Arthur Smith has been someone that surprised me, not in terms of the on-field stuff, because I, I knew, you know, we all know he's smart. We all know he knows what he's doing. What surprised me, though, is how, how vocal and how active he's been in practice. There are a couple of videos you can look around on Twitter and see, uh, you know, you'll see a play and you'll just see him chewing someone out after the play. Actually, on the video, as you'll see, of, of A.J. Brown's yeah. injury, like he didn't realize Brown got hurt on the play and because he didn't like finish the rep because he just kind of stood there, Arthur Smith went after him. <laughs> and, and that's been something that we've seen a couple of times. And, you know, Matt LaFleur never did that. And, and, you know, there's not necessarily one is good and one is not good. Um, but it's just a different personality than, than Matt LaFleur. And I think that there's a chance that the Titans respond well to that because Marcus Mariota – as a calmer guy, as you mentioned, Will, maybe he needs someone to fire him up. And, you know, I'm not saying that he needs some kind of halftime speech or anything to get him going, but y- you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it, sometimes you need somebody behind you to say it's okay to yell. Like, you know, it helps that he's got guys who are more fiery like Smith and Brable, who it's like, you know, if this guy messes up, if you're not going to yell at him, I'm going to yell at him. But he's going to get yelled at. So don't think you know. Don't think you're protecting him or you're taking the blame or anything like that. If he messes up, he's going to hear it from somebody. He might as well hear it from his quarterback. That way, I don't have to bring you in later. And I mean, it, maybe that's you know, call it leadership, whatever. The players seem to have a ton of respect for Mariota. I mean, you listen to any of them talk after any win or any sort of game where it was close, and they talk about how they had confidence in Mariota. And it's not just lip service. I've said it before. He's, you know, statistically, like empirically, when you look at the data, he's one of the best, you know, fourth quarter and close game quarterbacks in the NFL over the last few years. So there's a reason they have confidence and faith in him. But maybe to take that next step and be, you know, a quote-unquote franchise quarterback, that's what he needs. Yeah, another point on that Arthur Smith thing is uh, I feel like there's a level of familiarity between him and Mariota that we weren't able to see with Lafleur just because it was only one season and, and they probably didn't get to to know each other and, and be comfortable with each other. But Smith being around since 2011 and, and being around since since Mariota has been here, I think that's that's really important. And it, just because just to have that one one-on-one interpersonal relationship uh, that we weren't able to see with LaFleur. But does that make y'all a little bit mad? Because it's not like he was with the defensive staff or anything. They had a full staff full of offensive guys who could have said, hey, you know, Arthur, you've been here forever. You've seen his entire career, and you know all these players. What what would we? What would you do to use them properly? Because it, it seems like when I listen to him talk, and when I see what he's done on the field and practices, his philosophy isn't fundamentally different 
from what Matt LaFleur was supposed to do, but it seems to cater to everybody's strengths so much better. And, and maybe some of that is Delaney Walker getting hurt, and maybe some of it's you know Mariota not being able to you know feel his throwing hand. Those are those are major excuses that make a bunch of sense. But it just seems like there was never that confident understanding of what players did well. And and I mean maybe it's me uh, being too high on Arthur Smith right now, but it feels like the guy we've seen coach could have helped the Titans in you know, more than a handful of situations last year. And for a team that was nine and seven and lost three games by, you know, a score or less. And, you know, it sure seems like if somebody would have listened to him, the Titans could have made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So my most significant training camp storyline that's good for the Titans is anything and everything Corey Davis. Because this guy, <laughs> I'm telling you, he is the real deal. Will, this probably sounds – this is music to your ears, I know, right? This is dope. <laughs> he, I mean, he's basically Mike Evans but better. Is that what you're saying? No. Um, <laughs> I, I, I told – you'll actually hear this in the Humphreys interview. I, I, I told Humphreys, I said, it's rare that I'm mesmerized by a football player, but seeing Mike Evans last year did that. And and Humphreys is going to uh, – is going to kind of compare the two, Corey Davis and and, uh, and Mike Evans. So, so stay tuned and listen to that. But look, Corey Davis has the physical tools. He's fast. He, he has great change of direction. He's very athletic. He looks the part in terms of just his, his physical nature and his size and his build. And finally, as you mentioned, Will, this discussions with Corey Davis are no longer, man, that Mariota pass was behind him. Whose fault was that? Man, there's more miscommunication there. Man, he gave up on that play. It's become... Every single day, there's some kind of Corey Davis highlight or some kind of Corey Davis story that comes out of practice. Like yesterday, I tweeted out, a, you know, Titans play the day today was, was uh, as Teresa talked about in our last episode, was Corey Davis making a one-handed catch against Malcolm Butler. And Mike Herndon from Music City Miracles quote tweeted it and said, nope, that was just the Corey, da- Corey Davis highlight of the day of the day, implying that every day there's been something about Corey Davis that has happened. And if they, if the Titans can make a concerted effort to get him the ball early and often, as you're supposed to do when you have a number one receiver, it's going to be tough for for people to match up with him one on one. I feel like because he showed it a lot last year, right? He had nearly 900 yards receiving. It's not like he was terrible last year. Yeah, no, he was very good last season, and, and he did that among having to play with Blaine Gabber and among offensive dysfunction, whether it be due to scheme or a bunch of injuries happening to the team, he wasn't able to showcase all of his potential, but it wasn't his fault because when he played and he got the ball, he made plays all season, even in certain games where he only got two passes. Like I think it was the game against the Jaguars. He took a screen, showed some anger and he got 15 yards for a crucial uh, crucial first down. So there were times where he looked like a legitimate number one receiver last season. And, and I'm really interested to see how he's going to continue to develop this season. If he's going to break that 1000 yard mark, uh, I know there's a lot of other mouths to feed with Humphreys and AJ Brown uh, coming to town, but I, I don't think that's going to, going to make his production dip in any way. In, fa- in fact, I think it's going to accentuate it and, and, and turn him into the star that, that a lot of us thought he was going to be when he was drafted. Yeah, I, I mean, he would have led the Steelers 
in your in receiving yards last year. And that's not my bias as any sort of like Titan supporter or anything like that. That's statistical fact. If he got the same percentage of targets and everything that he got in Tennessee, he would have led the Steelers in receiving last year because they threw the ball so much and because the Titans threw the ball so little, but people don't understand that. Like Corey Davis was great in the vacuum that he was in, but he was limited by just the sheer volume of pass attempts that this offense had. Like he didn't have the opportunity to hit a thousand yards in this offense, but there's something like 24 other offenses where he would have had a thousand yards by like a pretty wide margin. And I mean, he would have had nearly 1500 yards if he was playing in the Steelers offense. So, this idea that people seem to have that, you know, Corey Davis didn't get a thousand yards. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, Matias, but it is a, you know, landmark when people look at receivers, how many mm-hmm. thousand yard receiving seasons did he have, you know, because that's what people see the NFL as. And what, you know, if you're just scanning through and you're not a Titans fan and you look and you say, oh, you know, well, he had 80 receiving yards the last game. He's not that good. That's not what it is. It, in terms of just sheer production per target, you know, within the the context of your offense, he, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL already. I, I, I obviously can't say enough good things about Corey Davis. I think he was wide receiver one in that draft class. I think he's outstanding. I think as a person who does little things, whether he's blocking down the field or whether he's, you know, catching a pass for a five-yard gain on third and four, even though he knows he's going to get hit, all those things he seems to do very well, and he just needs to put it all together in a larger volume. But I, I just – I don't know how I can say enough good things about Corey Davis without somebody saying, it's like, yeah, but he's never had this. Just wait and see. Just wait and see this yeah. year what happens. And, Will, I think you hit it on the nose, and this, this is the last thing I'll say about Corey Davis. It's that if the Titans can finally modernize their offense in that it's no longer this – like they're fi- they finally got rid of exotic Smash Mouth, right? But then last year there was no exotic Smash Mouth, but it still wasn't quite a modern, you know, Sean McVay, Matt Lafleur. And look, there's a difference between there's a fine line somewhere for them to find between exotic Smash Mouth and Chip Kelly, right? There there's a line to find between those two, and if they can find that this year, I think more than anyone on the team, Corey Davis is going to benefit. For sure, and his targets might not might go down just because, like I said before, there there are more mouths to feed. But I think his efficiency is going to go up just because he's so talented, and I think he's going to get no. I know he's going to get better quarterback play because even if Mariota goes down at some point, Tannehill is going to come in there, and he's absolutely better than Blaine Gabbert. So uh, I'm excited. I'm also excited just because. All of the press that that we've gotten from Davis, none of it is negative. Yeah. It's only positive, and not only from an on-field play uh, like aspect, also the fact that he's healthy. He was healthy all the last season. He played all sixteen games, and it, it just seems like he's put that that hamstring, those hamstring injuries from his rookie season, way in the rearview mirror. So that that gets me even more excited. Knock so, on wood, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so now. We'll uh, we'll play the uh, since since we're on the receiver uh, conversation. 
We'll play the Adam Humphreys interview for you guys. Still have Roger Saffold coming up later in the show. But after practice early on in Titans training camp, I was able to catch up with Titans receiver, free agent acquisition, Adam Humphreys, who was kind enough to lend his time to the No Nonsense podcast. So just first off the bat, today was first day in pads. What did you think? How'd it go? That sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, our first two days tempo was was so fast. You know, today with pads on, it's not much different. You know, obviously the liner are hitting a lot more than receivers do, but, um, you know, adds a little bit more physicality to the game. You know, your releases, blocking, you know, at the end of runs. And uh, it's real football now, so it's, it's good to get out there and see what everybody's made of. That's something I was talking to Saffold about yesterday, this idea that you guys have really, you know, gotten off to a fast start in camp. It seemed, I didn't even notice that the pads weren't on the first two days. Why do you think that is? Is that normal from your experience? This is your first camp here with Vrabel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the coaches doing a good job of, of coaching urgency and, um, you know, tempo and, 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 you know, breaking the huddle and, and, and playing with, uh, with great effort um, to, the, to, the, to the whistle's blown. And uh, that's just something they've instilled in, in us since OTAs and uh, something we've taken pride in and are going to keep taking pride in and working on. I was looking at your, your bio in the media guide, and, and I was stunned to find that in high school, I have the list here, you played running back, quarterback, mm-hmm. receiver, safety, cornerback, kick returner. How exactly did that come about? Was that an attitude of, you know, I'll do whatever they ask me to do? How does that happen? It was honestly, man, I didn't want to come off the field. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, at that time, you know, 16, 17-year-old kid. I mean, I, if I'm feeling good, I want, to, I want to stay on the field. You know, and I love playing defense. I love the, you know, I love the opportunity that you don't know what, what's coming at you. Any play can be a play you can make. You know, on offense, you know. If it's a run play, if it's a pass play, you know if you're going to get the ball some of the time. So defense is fun, and you get a chance to, to make plays on your own. And So I just enjoyed being on both sides of the ball and, and you know being able to touch the ball as much as I could. You have a couple of teammates going into a contract year. Uh, Marcus is one of those guys. You were in that boat last year. Is it just a matter of, oh, I'm going to put that aside, I'm not going to focus on that, or can it get to you? Um, I think you just got to put it aside because, I mean, they've, they've succeeded at this level. Um, and they, they know what it takes to be successful, and, and it's it's not anything extra. It's just just what you were you were born to do, what you work for every day. And if you just stick to your process, you know things will work out. I mean, you know I go back to last year. I think it was game four. I really didn't have you know any any stats, you know anything that was you know leading to to a big contract. And you know a lot of reporters were asking me if I was worried. I'm you know it's going to come. There's 16 games in a season, and there's no need to to, to rush or, or feel pressure to, to perform. Um, you know, I know my role in the team and I just, you know, stick to it. And if the ball comes my way, I'm going to do the best I can to make the play. So um, just sticking to the formula is all you got to do. I want to talk a little bit about the offense that you're coming into with, with Arthur Smith, obviously. Last year, Delaney Walker told me that when you have an offense like the one that's run here, it's harder at first, but once you get it down, it's much easier as opposed to maybe some other that are the other way around. It starts out easier, but then it ultimately gets harder. Has that been your impression? And, and what sort of a status update on how you're picking up the offense offense and, and sort of getting into the nuances of everything yeah you know obviously those, those first couple weeks are tough you know learning the plays and you know a lot of our routes are you know in Tampa we're called something different than they are here but the majority of the time it's similar routes and similar concepts it's just for me the hardest part is you know the cadences and you know the the, the, the snap count um, just trying to get on the same page with Marcus um, just communication issues and uh, I mean that's something we haven't really had an issue with but just something I can keep improving on. You've spent your career playing with the first pick from the 2015 draft, Jameis. Mm-hmm. Now you're playing with the second pick. What's that transition been like? Because it is, it has to be different catching balls from someone that you're not used to doing it with. Yeah, I mean, they're two totally different people. What's up, Joe? Two totally different players. And, um, you know, I enjoyed my four years with Jameis. He was, 
he was an awesome leader, awesome competitor, and, and a guy that I really enjoyed taking the field with each and every day. And, you know, Marcus is the same way. Um, you know, really respect him as a leader and as our quarterback. And, you know, just excited to come out here and work with him every day. He's, he's a good dude and a guy that you want to, um, you know, work with. How's your chemistry with you and Marcus so far? So far, it's, it's good. Um, you know, we've chemistry's obviously grown over, um, you know, over time, and uh, something we'll continue to work on. You got to play last year with Mike Evans, who, you know, it's very rare being out here that someone mesmerizes me. But when you guys were out here last year, he was mesmerizing. Yeah. You go from playing with him to playing with Corey Davis, who is a similar kind of physical freak, I guess. What have been your impressions of Corey? Because he's someone that I've noticed taking a big jump from year two to year three. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy that I just, I'm excited to watch watch play on Sundays. You know, obviously he's he's out here making plays, and you know he's, he's our leader, and um, you know a guy we're going to get behind and rally with, and uh, obviously a, you know a freak athlete, the guy who can go up, get the ball with strong hands, and and can run as well. So um, I'm excited to see him play on Sundays, and and uh, you know help him over the middle as much as I can, and uh, just like I said, just excited to watch him play. We, we talked some when you first got here, and I've talked to, to AJ Brown about this idea of. You know, not necessarily being the biggest, fastest guy out there, but knowing the intricacies of the game, knowing how to get open. How does that come about? Why is it that there are some guys who maybe fit into one mold and fit in, and, and others who fit into another, like yourself, maybe? Um, you're asking what, you know, why? I guess how do you learn how to get open? That's a phrase we use a lot. Well, this guy knows how to get open. He yeah. knows how to get open. So why is it that, that you know how to get open, but maybe someone else doesn't? Uh, to me, I think it's more like spatial awareness. Um, you know, and obviously the more you play, the more that's going to, um, you know, come to you. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get get enough reps inside and at the slot position to to feel comfortable over the middle and and you know you feel a linebacker coming to match you just just knowing when to sit down and when to break out and things like that and it comes with time and it's just more of a feel than than anything. I just have a couple more for you. First of all, you know you're playing against a really talented secondary out here, Malcolm, Logan, yeah. guys like Kevin. What have been your impressions of those guys so far? Smart and they're really really smart DBs. Um, you can just tell by the way they communicate and pre-snap you know just just really smart guys and they they, they get you know what it takes to, to to get it done and uh it's it's a challenge for us for us each and every day to go up against them and it's fortunate that we get to work work with them every day and last thing is this you know you're a veteran this isn't your first you know rodeo being in training camp what do you hope to get out of this when you are a veteran and you've done this before yeah i mean it's the same same approach each and every year it's how, how to get better um regardless of my age regardless of where i am in my career it's it's what can i do each and every camp to come out a better player. And that's, that's as simple as I can put it. All right, so now let's hop into our second topic for the day, which is the opposite end of what we just talked about. What is the biggest storyline of training camp that has a negative effect on the Titans? Matias, take it away. I'm going to stick with the wide receiver um, topic and uh, talk about A.J. Brown, who got injured. I, I don't know if it was the first day of camp. But um, one of the first few days of camp. Yeah, it was day one. It was day one. Yeah, I, I'm not sure we ever got like disclosure on, on what it was, but it was definitely a lower lower leg injury. He see he seems fine, but he hasn't been able to practice since then, and it, it just sucks because we were so excited about the potential of him in this offense. Uh, he was drawing Juju Smith comparisons, and, and we we really just wanted to see him. And, and how we would pair with Mariota, how we would complement Humphreys and Delaney and Corey Davis. And we haven't been able to see that yet, and I'm not sure when we're going to see it. They're probably going to be very cautious with him in preseason. And another reason that it's just it, – it's uh, it's not that I'm, I, I'm not panicked about it. It's just kind of annoying because the same thing happened with Corey Davis. He injured his hamstring, 
in camp his rookie season and he was never he wasn't able to play the full season and then the year after Rashawn Evans gets injured in camp also uh, and it took him a while to finally get healthy uh, and, and play consistently for the team uh, add to that that Jeffrey Simmons our first round pick this year is coming off a torn ACL and isn't going to play probably for the first half of the season it just it's kind of annoying not not being able to have these high draft picks come into camp, be healthy, show out, and uh, go into the season healthy. And, and, and it looks like that's what's going to happen with, with A.J. Brown. So that that's probably the, the most negative storyline, that, that in my opinion. Until you said that, I didn't realize how unlucky the Titans had been with injuries to yeah. high draft picks. Like, Corey Davis, Adoree was fine. Harold Landry and Rashawn both missed time at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jeffrey Simmons, which they knew about, and then A.J. Brown. So over the last three years, they've had six first or second round draft picks, and only one of them has played, like, mm-hmm. out of the gate. That's crazy. It's annoying. Yeah. It's annoying. It's, that's, that's super aggravating. And – you know, the, the Titans are notorious for starting out slow, it seems like, and then obviously not finishing well enough to do anything deep in the playoffs. So that that is super annoying. Yeah, and I think the concerning part about A.J. Brown's injury is less of a, you know, oh, is this going to linger? You know, it's the Corey Davis syndrome of – even when Corey Davis was on the field during his rookie year, because he missed about half the games by the by the time all was said and done, uh, when he was on the field, when he was healthy, he was a total non-factor until that New England playoff game. He had no touchdowns in the regular season. Very rarely was he targeted in the offense. It mostly revolved around Rashard Matthews. And, you know, the Titans need offensive help for Mariota now. And they're going to get it in Delaney Walker being back, and they're going to get it in Humphreys. But they can't really afford to have A.J. Brown kind of wandering around and just sort of being a supplement to the offense. They need him to be able to ride off the gate, be someone that can be relied on. Yeah, he needs to be fully healthy before we put him back out there. And thankfully, I mean, if if he's not healthy, Taewon and Tajay, I mean, as much as as negative as we may be on them and as down as we may be on them in, in their respective careers, they're still serviceable and they could – they could catch the ball. They could get open. So it's not the end of the world, but you you would love to have your second-round pick who was very highly touted be out there and, and complete the offense. So I, I'm, I'm going to do a minor hijacking here and talk about why I think that is, the whole Corey Davis non-factor thing. Um, I think more, and I don't know how much of this is conspiracy theory or whatever, but or just proven fact. But Marcus Mariota, I'm pretty sure, is a guy who needs. And we've talked about this before with receiver depth, but he needs chemistry with guys before he really excels. And I think he picks guys early in training camp and in preseason and during the early part of the season. And those are the same guys he trusts at the end of the season. So until you build that relationship and that rapport of if I throw the ball, like you've got to catch it and you've got to be here until he finally gets that rhythm down. I think it hurts the entire offense. So, you know, A.J. Brown missing time early on the surface seems like, okay, you know, you really want him to be healthy. 
I mean, I would almost have him come back and play in like a very limited role and just say, okay, you're going to run these two routes for the first two weeks of the season. And any route that Mariota throws to you is going to be one of these two routes. By the time teams key and identify on it, because you're going to be a sub package guy, by the time teams, you know, adjust to that, we'll have changed that and you'll have a more full route tree. But until then, you've got to run these two routes perfectly. And then go from there because if if he doesn't have chemistry with him now, it's going to be hard for them to get in rhythm later, just based off everything we've ever seen uh, with Mariota. So that that's that's my big concern is, you know, on paper I think it makes a ton of sense, and with thirty one other quarterbacks in the league, maybe that does make sense. Like maybe they can build instant chemistry, but with, with Mariota, he seems to think okay. This guy needs to run this route like this, and if he does, I can hit him on the hands perfectly every time. But you can see it on some of the deep passes to Taewon when you know he doesn't run his routes consistently and doesn't go full speed the whole time. He expects him to be at a very specific point because he always seems to miss him the same way deep. But you know when you see him throw it to Corey Davis deep, he doesn't really miss him deep. When he throws it to Delaney Walker, he doesn't really miss Delaney Walker. Like guys who are precise in their routes, he really doesn't miss. Well. What's your choice for biggest storyline that has a negative impact on the Titans? So mine's kind of a weird one uh, because it's not talked about a lot, but Ryan Suckup is not anywhere near the facility. Like he's not, Mm -hmm. he's not kicking on the side. He's not, as far as I know, he's not even in Nashville. I mean, he he may be in that, like I'm not there, so I don't know. I would would assume he is in the facility. That's just a guess though. Well, because I, I, I think I think per his contract he has to be. Yeah, maybe I, I I don't know. Like I said, I have I haven't seen him. I haven't seen you know grainy Bigfoot style pictures of him in the background <laughs> walking or anything like that. Like as far as I know, like I, I I don't know where he is. And we're a month away from the season, and he's recovering from you know surgery, uh, knee surgery, that, right? Yeah, I think it was knee surgery. Yeah. yeah. Um. So if if that's the case, like. You really want to see a guy kick now because kind of like with the whole confidence in receivers that Mariota needs, kickers need to be able to kick with confidence. 90% of being able to kick isn't you know, getting the ball through the uprights. If you talk to a kicker who's had to kick in any sort of high-pressure situation, they'll tell you it's, I mean, it's mostly mental. Like They've got things that they check off. You know, you're going to take you know five steps back and two steps to the left, and that's how you're going to kick it. And they're very ritualistic and you know and super almost superstitious to the point where as soon as stuff starts going wrong you know more than once or twice their confidence can get shaken quick and you want suck up out there right now taking as many kicks as he can to make sure by the time you know by the time the season comes along he's confident in what he can do and what he can't do yeah especially because i mean he wasn't terrible last season but he missed an inordinate amount of extra points, which was really weird, mm-hmm. and, and he missed a couple field goals that that were that were that were makeable. I think from forty to 50, forty to forty nine range, something that he had been so good at the past few years. So yeah, it, it would be nice if he could get in there soon and, and start kicking and hopefully kicking the preseason. Yeah, and and I think you hit it on on the head, Will. I think the concerning part isn't necessarily the injury because everyone gets injured at a certain point. It's that we haven't even seen him. Like there's been no reports out there on what the the status is. There's been, you know, 
he hasn't been on the side working out or anything like that. Now, granted, Ryan Suckup doesn't have to do change of direction work like, you know, a Jarrell Casey or Jeffrey Simmons does. But that's concerning, I think, more than anything, is that he's not out there. Yeah. I just realized that I didn't come up with one. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it Batson? Oh, no, No, that's uh, a surprise. Um... What is the worst thing that's happened to them? Do you want to talk about Lawan? No, I don't think that's all that bad. I mean, I'm still of the opinion that you just throw Dennis Kelly in and they'll forget about it after four weeks. Do you um, want to talk about how uh, the Titans have both had had both offensive tackles walk out of practice like early and how that's a serious concern? I think Conklin's was planned. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it just it freaks me out when I see like one guy like that. Um, I'm trying to think. There's been bad stuff. I mean, you can talk about how it's not a good thing that Jarrell uh, Casey is still on the pup list. I'll say, yeah, Derek, right? I'll, say, I'll say Derek Henry. I'll take that gamble. Dude, Casey hasn't been able to practice normally, right? Yeah, that yeah, it's I'm a little concerned, man. Yeah, like I thought like there was a small chance that he would be on pup when it started and then he's still on pup and I'm like, um, I'm like we we need to get this like even if he's just there like t- taking maintenance days and walking through stuff, I I would love to see him with pads on. Yeah. Okay, I'll say I'll do Henry. So what I'll say is the most significant storyline from training camp that is bad for the Titans is the injury to Derrick Henry because, as Adam Schefter reported on Tuesday, this is something that could keep him out for a couple of weeks. And with running backs in particular, injuries tend to kind of linger, right? We saw it with DeMarco Murray a few years ago when he had the, the plantar fasciitis in his foot. You know, you don't really know how long, number one, Henry's going to be out outside of this one- to two-week sort of estimation – But then you get into the question of, okay, when should you bring him back? Because you ask yourself, is Henry in the spot now where he doesn't really need preseason games? He has played two years in the league. But I think because of what we saw from him last year and the amount of time it took him to get into a groove, I think the preseason could benefit Henry more than your average player. So I think that's a hard question that the Titans are going to have to answer and one that if they get it wrong – could be a big blow to the offense yeah and and, uh a report came out today that uh andrew luck hasn't or like he's not ready he's still uh, going through some discomfort with a similar thing he also has a calf injury and his injury dates back to like i don't know it's been like three months or something like that two or three months that he's been dealing with that so that makes me a little concerned for henry especially because henry plays a position where where it's more important just because you're running all the time. So it, it is a concern. Uh, the timetable of two weeks is fine, but you really never know with soft tissue injuries. And we've seen it with so many times in the past uh, who deal with hamstring injuries or other soft tissue injuries. They just linger or they, they, they pop up again. So hopefully this isn't something that's going to linger and, and, and carry into the season. As for what I would, I I would not play him in a single preseason game, honestly. Especially if you're going to ride him like you did at the end of last season and really commit to him 
as a workhorse back. I, I think you just sit him out, get him perfectly healthy, and hope hopefully hopefully he doesn't need time to get into a groove like he did last year. I'm I'm a little bit different. I would I would definitely try to play him in the third preseason game, but a lot yeah, a of that couple just series kinda, maybe. Yeah, yeah, like just just so he can get familiar with the offensive line because it's different having Lawan blocking for you on the left side and having yep. Kelly and all that just just to get some familiarity because he's never really run behind Saffold either and you know um, but I mean I can definitely see where you're coming from. Um, the one saving grace in all this is he finally has an offensive coach who understands where he wins and don't look at the stat sheet and see that he's six three and think that he's a power back. Like he he understands and I mean, I assume we actually haven't that's one player we haven't seen Arthur Smith use yet, but I would assume that he understands what he can and can't do after all this time with him. So fans don't have to expect to see that whole first month of the season where the offensive coordinator is just scratching his head and it's just saying, you know, I could have sworn this guy was a power back. It's like, no, it's like you've got to understand where what he does as well. Hopefully they don't need a preseason to figure that out and we can go ahead and be ahead of schedule with that. So it, it is a major concern, but this is maybe the first year where I'm not worried that the coaching staff is going to screw him up. All right, so now we're going to play for you the uh, the Roger Saffold interview. I caught up with him after practice uh, early on in Titans training camp to talk about going from playing with uh, Sean McVay in Los Angeles, who is you know highly touted as one of the best coaches in the NFL, to playing with Mike Vrabel here in Tennessee. Here's what he had to say. So first I want to ask you about the idea of a contract year because you were just in one with the Rams right. and you've got several teammates, Marcus, Logan, Ryan, who are going in one. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we ask those guys, oh, you know, what is it like to be in a contract year, they play it off as, you know, you can't think about the pressure. What, what is it like? I mean, you've been in that situation twice with, with the Rams. Uh, I, don't, I don't think about the pressure whatsoever. Um, it just comes out to, you know, what do you put out? And, uh, you know, these guys are working hard. So you have to be able to understand that that's going to just take care of itself. Uh, you know, and when we win, then we do better. So it's better to not think about yourself and it's better to think more about the team. Because, um, you know, if you go on a winning season, a lot of people start getting paid. You played with a pretty talented coach in Sean McVay in Los Angeles. And he's someone that a lot of people like to put on a pedestal as being a superb coach, which he is. But what have been your impressions of Mike Vrabel since being here with the Titans? Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to have a, have a young guy in there. Um, you know, he has a lot of energy. He has a lot of passion for the game, plus being a player himself. I mean, it just makes it easier to listen to him. Um, you know, his coaching has been very helpful. Uh, to not just the defensive side of the ball, but also the offensive side of the ball because you can't take away those 14 years of experience. And uh, for me, I think that you just kind of personalize yourself with him, and that's what makes it easier to kind of get out on the practice field and really buy into what he's telling us. You've talked some about the continuity that there's going to be between, you know, you having been with Matt LaFleur and this system sort of resembling that on offense. What has the transition been like, and, and, and where do you think you're at in transitioning and learning this offense? Uh, you know, just the basis of the plays, of course, you understand and the, the verbiage you kind of remember. Um, but, you know, there's small details of the play that are going to be different just because it's a different team, and that doesn't make you better or worse. 
Um, but you know, it is a something that I have to constantly focus on and make sure that I handle the defense, the, the details their way. I don't want to come into this team and start trying to change their offense. I don't, I don't want to try to, you know, switch it to McVay's offense. I'm trying to come out here and I'm trying to do what I'm coached to do, and uh, you know, kind of work with this team so that we can all move forward together. You were in a Super Bowl last year with the Rams, and, and your quarterback, Jared Goff, had a really great year. A lot of people like to make the comparison between Mariota and Jared Goff, and, and I don't want you to compare the two necessarily, but what's it been like going from working with Jared to working with Marcus? Uh, you know, Marcus is uh, – he, he's just got out-of-this-world talent. You know what I mean? I mean, just the, the way that he's able to extend plays, uh, the way that he's able to – you know, his toughness. I mean – you know, that's what you're looking for out of your quarterback. The good thing is, is that, you know, he's a leader, and uh, I think that he's just done everything that he possibly could to, to come to this camp, you know, be bigger, be faster, be, lead, uh, be you know, more durable. Like, he's doing everything. What, what have been your impressions of the first two days of training camp? It seems like it, – it looked to me like there's just been a lot of comfort overall, not a lot of mistakes happening. Uh, we've hit the ground moving pretty fast. And, you know, that's something that you definitely want to see out of your team. The only thing that we have to make sure is that it's consistent. We have to make sure that we're consistently doing this day in and day out. And then I think that we'll be really excited about the results. Arthur Smith is someone who has been here for a while as the tight ends coach. And he's, up until now, maybe not been the most vocal guy. But through two days of practice, a lot of times when something goes wrong on offense, he's the first guy you hear maybe chewing someone out. What have been your impressions of working with him and, and maybe his, his nature as being a vocal leader? Uh, well, obviously I wasn't here last year, but it just seems like he's stepped up his game. And, uh, you know, that makes you proud to be around him. You know, he's taking in input from the players as well as the coaches, and that's going to make the whole offense just move together. Um, you know, we constantly talk about just – doing the right things at the right times and tying those together and we're trying to be more consistent and we're going to be able to do that if he stays consistent throughout the entire season and so far through OTAs and this training camp I've seen that he's been doing that. It's easy to forget when it comes to a free agent that not only are they changing franchises but they're literally uprooting their family and, and moving their career to a new place. What's that aspect of the transition been like having to move your family and come to a new city? Uh, that's been a little stressful but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day you know I, I need my family with me when I'm out here battling they're going to be with me and uh, you know they're excited for the change sometimes you just need a change one of the last thing I'll ask you about is, is I was looking through the media guide it was interesting to find out that you're very involved in, in the video game industry talk to me about that a little bit what's your involvement and why are you involved in that uh, I'm an owner of an esports organization called Rise Nation and we play competitively in a bunch of different games uh, some some have been on TV uh, some are a lot of streamed online, but it's a, a hell of an opportunity to be able to, you know, make some money and do something that I enjoy playing myself. And, and how important is that to maybe have something outside of football that can keep you interested and keep you entertained? Uh, you know, at first it's, it's really great. You know, it's important so that you constantly, you know, have something to get away from the game so you come back refreshed. Um, and now that it's continued to grow and get bigger and bigger, you know, I'm just blessed that I've been able to be fortunate enough to have something outside of the field that's going to make you some off-the-field income. All right, so as, as we close out this episode, we're going to have our, our Stop the Nonsense segment. But before we do that, one last quick topic to kind of run through, and we'll just kind of do this quick hit. Most surprising development from training camp so far? Uh, I'll start off. This I'm going to be honest. This one was a little tough to find to find surprises. 
But um, I think uh, Nate Davis getting some run with the ones recently is, I'm not going to say, I don't know if it's a huge surprise just because we we drafted him in the third round and you would expect uh, an offensive lineman that, that goes that high uh, to get a good chance at the starting job. But everyone was just slotting in Kevin Pamphiel at that right guard spot. And I think Davis has a, a serious shot to, to be the weak one starter there just because of his talent and the fact that he's kind of, I, I read, I read a couple articles that he's changing his stance. Uh, so I, I'm excited for him. I, I think him running with the ones and getting this early uh, to get some familiarity with, with Conklin to his right and Ben Jones on the left. Uh, I think it bodes well for, for him to be the week one starter at right guard. Uh, yeah, for me, I've been most surprised, I guess, by Brent Urban. I'm going to be honest. I thought he was a camp body type guy, like a bottom of the roster type guy. I mean, by all reports, and when you you know when you watch him play, he sure seems like he's going to be the first guy off the bench once Simmons and Casey are both back on the field. Like, you know, he feels like the third best defensive lineman when everybody's healthy. So even though they have Austin Johnson and I mean DeQuan, I just don't know. I mean. I don't know how you keep those guys on the field if Urban's able to do what they think he can do. Plus the fact that he's six seven and can just kind of reach up and he's huge, man. Yeah, like immediately block the field of vision of any quarterback. I mean, I'll say this and then I'll and I'll stop talking. But if he goes against Baker Mayfield, who's what right at six feet, six foot, yeah, yeah. I mean, so he's gonna be standing seven inches above him. And then he's going to have, you know, wingspan, arm length is half your wingspan. I mean, he's going to be 10 feet up in the air against a six foot quarterback. I mean, you've got to think that's worth something. I was, I think I made the comparison when we signed him and, and looked at just how big he is to Ropati Patoa Tua, who real Titans fans remember him. Oh, yeah. He was just a huge six, eight, 300 pound guy who always played well. He was always solid. He would make stops in the run game and show up when you needed him. So I think Brent Urban could definitely be that type of player for us. And I'll say my biggest surprise is, is the receiving core as a whole. Because after watching guys like like Taewon Taylor, Tajay Sharp, and Cameron Batson all have several nice plays over the first few days of camp, they've played very competitively. I thought Taewon Taylor has, has looked pretty good, especially, and Batson as well. That position is a lot more competitive than I thought it would be. Because I kind of thought to myself, you know, we know the top three, obviously, Humphreys, Davis, and, and A.J. Brown. But beyond that, I thought, well, you know, it's going to be Taewon because he has two years left on his deal. And it's probably going to be Darius Jennings because he's the kick returner. And, you know, maybe Batson because he has some versatility. You know, Sharp, is he the odd man out? It is going to be very, very competitive. And it is going to come down to that last week of practices and that last preseason game. Because they're going to have have to be some tough decisions. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. A good receiver is going to have to be cut from the Titans just because it's going to come down to a numbers game. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they do there. Because Jennings, I'm assuming, is going to make the team just by way of being the the primary kick returner. He was fantastic last year. Uh, And then it would seem that Batson's the, the odd man out. But by all reports, he's had a really strong preseason much to Will's dismay, but, <laughs> but we'll see what they do. Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe the glimpse we saw him fumbling and, and that turned into safety is, <laughs> you know, 
like i mean maybe that's not his normal like maybe he does so much on the field at practice that it, it makes up for that that's that's just the lasting image i have burned in my head so you know it, i'm i'm always you know ready to be proved wrong if it means somebody's going to play better than i thought they would uh yeah i mean it's super interesting i don't know how the titans don't have the giants and the patriots on speed dial and just call them every day and say hey you know, what do you give me for one of these guys? Like, a, yeah. you know, dangle guys like Taewon or Tajay or, you know, I, I sure would hate to lose Jennings just because he's not only a really good returner, like the best in the league last year, but, but he's also a really good special teams gunner, like and eight tackles really well. So, um, and maybe not even a gunner, maybe middle eight, it doesn't matter, but he can do everything you want from a special team star, Oh, and he can also catch deep passes like he did against Dallas. So, I mean, he's not he's not just a guy who has to, you know, catch and run. And, you know, if you're going to get him involved on offense, he can do a little bit more than that. So he seems like a guy I feel like they're going to cut, and it's going to really upset me. And I'm, it's going to be one of those testy moments for me and John Robinson where I lose faith for a second and then see he was right. But, you know – Somebody is going to claim a good receiver from the Titans on the waiver wire if all those guys, if none of those guys get traded. So let's close out the show as we always do with our Stop the Nonsense segment where we read the worst takes we've seen on social media or the internet in general regarding the Titans that we've seen since the last episode. And if you come across just a terrible take, please send it to us on Twitter at NoNonsensePod or on Facebook, the same handle, and use the hashtag StopTheNonsense. Matthias, I know you have got a great one coming up, so we're going to kind of tease mm. that. I'll let you go second. <laughs> I'll start with mine. And it's not really a bad take about the team. It's just kind of a, a bad take in general, I guess. So, so yesterday, or I think it was the other day, I was seeing some tweets about the Kevin Byer, Deion Sanders stuff which I admit was very funny at first when, when Sanders came out and thought Deion Sanders was, was just a fan. But then, like, it kept getting run. Like, every time Bayard did something, he'd be like, oh, just a fan getting an interception. It was like, okay, this isn't funny anymore. And then once he got the contract extension last week, it, it, it met its end of being funny. It, it was totally over. So I saw a tweet about how the, uh, the, the Kevin Bayard stuff wasn't funny anymore. And I responded and I said, it has become the new Honor Landry jokes. Do you remember that? Because when Vince Young announced Harold Landry during the, the draft two years ago as Honor Landry, people would not stop talking about it. And, like, Harold would get asked to sign autographs as Honor Landry. And it was just getting absurd. <laughs> and so someone tweeted at me the other day, at Superfast3000GT, and he said... Calling him Honor Landry never gets old. These jokes never get old. And he's being totally serious. <laughs> Please stop with both the Honor Landry and the Kevin Byard just a fan jokes. I like both of those guys. I'm a big Harold Landry fan, even bigger Kevin Byard fan. The jokes aren't funny anymore. And I'll say this. There's this, Twitter on, or this feature on Twitter that lets you mute certain words and phrases. And one of the phrases that I've had muted for over a year now is Honor Landry. Those will never come up again for me. So I'm done with Honor Landry. I'm done with Kevin Byard, Deion Sanders stuff. That's why you don't respond to any of my super funny Honor Landry tweets, I guess. 
<laughs> I'm totally with you, by the way. The Honor Landry stuff is really annoying. It was and old. Dave. It was so funny at first. But no, then it just I, got I, run I into the ground. It. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing funny about illiteracy. <laughs> All right, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll say mine now. It is it is a doozy, fellas, a doozy. So as so, you all know, from someone that I feel like will become a regular on this segment. <laughs> yeah. So there's this guy on Twitter. His name is Howie the Titan. I think he might write about the team for his own site. I, I'm not entirely sure. He has, he has a good amount of followers. He's become a uh, a prominent figure in the Titans Twitter community. I don't know how, but it has happened. So hopefully he'll be a friend of the podcast. We'll see. So when Derrick Henry went out with his calf injury, this guy came up with this theory that Derrick Henry was actually not that injured and has been holding out because he wants a new deal and he's in the last year of his contract. This is so bad. So he deleted that tweet. I think there are a couple (laughs) more tweets. He deleted them so I couldn't send them, but I swear it happened. And then yesterday, I check, and he tweeted about it again. So he doubled down on it, and this was his tweet. Evidence that Henry may be in a stealth holdout is that he's in his last year of his rookie deal. So that's the evidence, incredible evidence. Yeah. And <laughs> comma and Rashard Matthews. That's that was just the that's the evidence that he has. So okay, Rashard Matthews is an anomaly. And just a general rule yeah. of logic is that you can't use anomalies as defenses. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, apparently, apparently Richard Matthews faked that he was being hurt and he was trying for a new deal. I don't – I never saw that report. I don't know I don't know if that's even true. Because it didn't happen. It's right. That's not true, right? <laughs> okay. I didn't see it because it didn't happen. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure because I don't remember that at all. So this – that take, the, it just melted my face. Incredible. So, shouts out, Howie the Titan. <laughs> but I, Howie is definitely very vocal on Twitter. Y'all, y'all should go check him out. It's, it's very entertaining. Um, so, mine, I guess I'll finish up with uh, Jose Alvarez at Titans Powerhouse. Um, <laughs> I, I tweeted an article the other day about how if Malcolm Butler bounced back, the Tennessee Titans should be an elite defense. You'd have three great cover corners, the best safety pairing in the NFL, maybe the best linebacker group in the NFL, and a front four defensive line that's outstanding when all healthy. And uh, his response was, dude, Titans still missing the elite pass rusher, elite pass rusher, all caps. Uh, To be great in depth, you need to get to the QB. And as of now, we don't have that. So, in case y'all don't know, uh, the Titans were 16th in sacks last year, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but they did that with Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo combining for two sacks and 1,100 snaps. So, they were five sacks outside of the top 10. or Yeah, sorry, five sacks outside of the top 10. So, if Harold Landry just continues at his normal pace, they'll be at the top 10 in sacks. So, there's this misconception that you need Vaughn Miller to be a great defense. I hate to tell y'all, if y'all don't like watching the Titans defense, they're going to be a top 10 unit next year, whether or not Malcolm Butler takes the next step. And even if they don't have anybody over five sacks next year, and if Malcolm Butler takes a step forward, it doesn't matter. They will be an elite defense, and they will be top five in the NFL by a wide margin. 
Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the No Nonsense Podcast. We want to thank you all for listening and remind you again that you can connect with us on social media at No Nonsense Pod. That is our handle on both Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening. For Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas, I am Luke Worsham reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.